Welcome to the Emo Social Club podcast, broadcasting to you unlive, unalive, <laughs> unalive, to you fakely uh, from EmoSocialClub.tv. I am Brian, and I'm Lizzie. This is this, this is not a live episode. This is a pre-recorded episode from like what 2018. <laughs> 20, yeah, like it's when back. it's when ESC first started up. And we were just like getting into interviewing guests together and like working together and everything. So, but it's 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 a really good episode because it also got us written up in a uh, AP magazine. Yeah, so it did. This that was, is that was pretty uh, sick. This is our episode with Adam Siska of the Academy. Is uh, yeah, we we we've become great friends with with Siski Biz in the years since this. But uh, you know, it's it's Christmas time, and we wanted to give you a gift. A nice little gift wrapped in a bow like they did when they announced their comeback. And you yeah. can relive it and live it continuously through this little episode. Yeah. This is pre-reunition. Reuniting. Reunification. The reunification. And this is also where he, he I, mean, I mean, it's not a spoiler alert because it already happened. Unless you uh, just he, haven't listened to it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but he does mention that there is uh, an additional Academy is record in this. And that's what AP wrote about. So yeah, you can hear a little yeah. bit more about the old days and, and cool stories about the old days and the old records and, you know, reminiscing reminiscing. In, I'm in reminiscing. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, not much to say, uh, you know, you can you can definitely check this episode out on everything else too, and let us know what you think about it on Emo Social Club on Instagram and X Emo Social Club X on Twitter and TikTok, and just you know give us a thoughts, give us you know remember this. You could be like, ah, I remember. Pepperidge Farm remembers. You could you could say that on our on our social media. Um, the video is is has been on YouTube, so you can also go watch it on YouTube. It's if you a want. very old school video, so like we we twit we yeah, oh god, I'm having a stroke right now. We stream please this edit. over. Please edit this out. Yeah, um, we originally streamed this over on Twitch, but it was like cozy living room, Brian's old apartment, like free studio, free anything. Like, it was so raw guys and like the audio quality we're gonna see what we can do about it but you know what it is what it is but where else are you going to listen to this kind of like exclusive insider info nowhere so exclusive <laughs> so exclusive for the past four years yeah uh, yeah so uh enjoy and and here's our episode with adam siska siski biz of the academy is I was just thinking about how when I when I played with Taking Back Emo and the bass was in drop D. Yeah, it's really threw you off. Um, what I think was the funniest thing about that, for me personally, was after like that alt press article came out, uh, that I was like, you know, the last few bands that Adam Siska's played with were Fallout Boy, 
and fucking me. Yeah, and the same song too. Yeah, the same yeah, fucking yeah. song. So I was like, ooh, that's actually. It was nice. It actually kind of got me like, not that that song needs a whole lot of like refreshing on, but, yeah. but uh, it was nice. Like doing those two things back to back within like a few days of each other was actually like kind of captured the spirit of the whole experience that I had with those guys. Yeah. And like getting to see a band cover them and cover the Academy is and all that. Like that, I thought that was like, I mean, I had a really great time. So nice. Uh, thanks for inviting me out for that. You're welcome. And I promise you it will never happen again <laughs> because I broke it up. Well, there is a, uh, we've, there's been, I don't know if this is going to go in the edit, but we'll, Stop. Uh, I can talk about whatever I want. Off, the, off the record. This is off the record, but it's also it's on, the record, on the record. Cause I'm not editing this. I'm not editing <laughs> the stream. So like whatever. Um, they announced like the new members that are taking over as taking back emo. So there's like a new group of guys that'll be doing all the songs. Cool. Um, they're booked at a few places. Are they looking for a bass player? Uh, no, they have that. <laughs> um, also, no, don't. Don't, <laughs> don't do, do that. that. Um, no, they, they did like a, a quick video and people kind of like freaked out that there was this whole new band and they're like, wait, you just replaced all the members and kept the name? And they're like, yeah. And it's like, oh, I thought you would just like change the name if you were going to change all it's the like members. Leonard and they're like, Skinner or why? Fire. Oh my God. Like, yeah. Not, not too many dudes left. <laughs> it was very like, I mean, I... I don't think that's how I would do it, but I also am the one that left the band. So it's not my decision and I yeah. wish them well. I wish everybody well for doing the project. It's and what comes with ending a band, you know? Yeah, it's exactly. Like, it was a little weird for me. Like when the Academy is, was ending, like William kept going, you know, like yeah. he kept playing our songs. He played them with other people and like, I was a little salty about it. And then at huh. a certain point I was just kind of like, Oh, well, he like has a daughter and like whatever he needs to do to like make sure that she has like food in the fridge. Yeah. I don't care about like <laughs> that's really all that matters, you know? Like so like I don't care if I I mean if, if he wanted me to play bass, he could have called. Me. <laughs> you know, it's all good. If you need me. I'm <laughs> if right you need here. me, the original person in your band. Yeah. <laughs> uh Peter says, I actually listened to the Academy Is. I liked it a lot. So your old nice. band has a new fan. <laughs> awesome, man. Love it. <laughs> Always making new fans. That's what it's all about. Uh, and I'm just here for some spicy takes while I attempt to re-drunk my chicken. He was cooking his chicken with beer yesterday. Oh. And he was like, I'm sober. My chicken is drunk. So, you know. Okay. Chicken is like my favorite. That's the good stuff. Do you have a, do you have a recipe for your favorite beer can <laughs> chicken? Uh, I do, actually. Uh, I am not good at making it, though. My uh, <laughs> my stepfather is very good at it. Yeah. yeah and... Uh, it's tough. I, I quit drinking two years ago, so I would have to have somebody drink the beer or, yeah. or like a mug root beer chicken. <laughs> <laughs> mug root beer. Yeah. Um, I, I guess we'll just start to start talking about just general shit yeah. and just like kind of yeah. get into whatever comes up. Uh, you and I met and this is, oh, you know what? You know what, Lizzie? You want to talk shit about Apple products? Uh, Shut up. We met because I worked at the Apple store in Deer Park. And him and his uh, overbearing mother. Yeah, your overbearing mother was like, "Um, oh, you play music? My son's in a band. Have you heard of the Academy? Is and I'm just like in the back of the store, just like, uh, what? Yeah, I have. Excuse me, ma'am. So we like talked for like what 30, 45 minutes and just like chat about stuff. And then like, uh, we did the DJ night for Halloween, um, 2017, I think. Whenever that was, it wasn't last year. Years go by. Years go by. Fucking yeah. Um, I think it was 17. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, here we are. Just uh, you know, 
buds. Love it. Yeah, man. It's awesome. Out. And I remembered you right away when you mentioned that too. Because like, I was like, I look completely different. He's not no, going to know who the fuck I, I am. I remember the embarrassment I felt because my mom, <laughs> my mom would definitely do stuff like that a lot. And like, inherently I didn't like it, but then I would always end up talking to people, which I do like to do. Like mm-hmm. I've always been kind of an open book when it comes to like, I mean, especially when it comes to the music stuff, like people coming up and saying, I like your band. I've never been a person who's like responded to that with like, cool, now go away. You know, like, <laughs> I don't I, think you can. Uh, it's like, I don't know. I mean, I, I remember going to see bands that I liked growing up. And if, if like, if like Rivers or, or Billy Corgan or somebody had like stopped to talk to me, it would have yeah. like, it would have helped me a lot in my years of pain and personal anguish <laughs> yeah. I was going through. True. I just, I just don't <laughs> think Billy Corgan would really want to talk to anyone. Well, <laughs> not he was nice to me later on. Yeah. Okay, that's good. But you know, I actually really like that guy, despite what anyone says about him. Mm. But like, uh, I understand that he's also kind of a raging prick. Too, yeah. So it's all good. But like, I don't know, man. It's when it comes to like being one of my. I think looking back on it now, especially like looking at being in a band, like the thing I miss the most is being able to have an impact on people and to like, mm-hmm. I don't know, be nice to somebody outside of my bus, you know, like that was really like the, really the best part mm. of that entire like decade of my life was being able to like meet a kid and like surprise him by being friendly. <laughs> you know, like, like <laughs> it's true though. Cool. Like now, I mean, you know, the 10 years removed from the band, it's like, it's weird if I'm talking to some kid outside of a bus, you know? So it's it's like, who is this man? Yeah, because yeah, now, like, I don't know if you get more recognized from, like, outside of shows than you would from, like, inside of a show. Like, because are you, are you, well, now that you're on tour with Carly Rae Jepsen for viewers, just in case you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, he was there when she got her legendary sword yeah, at Lollapalooza. Was, I've been there now for six years. Yeah, so, so I mean, now you're getting recognized for, like, that, but... Are sort you... of. I'm actually not really recognized for that. I would say that <laughs> at the Carly shows, I'm really pleased with the amount of people do come out to say hi to me that mm. are either new fans of Academy, like our new fan that we've made here. What's his name again? Peter. Peter. <laughs> hey, Peter. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, it, which is always cool. There's people that come up at the Carly shows and say, you know, I, I checked out your band. It's a shame you guys broke up. I would have loved to have seen it. Yeah. And, uh, that's always cool but then there's also like i'll be playing shows with carly and i'll look out and i'll recognize fans from from Hmm. that era and you know uh that's always a really cool thing yeah that's neat yeah so i've i mean i felt really creepy but there was also like tim McIlrath from rise against yeah and then i don't know his name but he's like the bassist of anthrax lives in that area too and so like they would come in and people would always be like hey that's the bassist from anthrax and i'm like hey I don't know one song by Anthrax yeah. <laughs> except for that Public Enemy song. The, butcher, the, the drummer from Academy. Mm-hmm. When we were in, like the whole time we were in the band, he had a he had this girlfriend who he met on Warped Tour 2006, and she was Kevin Lyman's yoga instructor. Wow, <laughs> that's and she was really hot and like old. But oh. we were like 20. Yeah, he, he was probably like. 22 or 23. His mm. girlfriend was like pushing 40. And oh, like definitely that babe. And, I mean, uh, live your life. And she had been previously married to Scott Ian, the I don't I think he was the singer of Anthrax. Yeah, he, he is in, the singer. He's in the damn things. Yeah, he is the, he is the singer of Anthrax. And he had been married to that chick, the older chick that Butcher dated for years. And like 
Damn. But you're like lived in like a house that was like paid for by anthrax. <laughs> That's wild. Oh, just shit. have like that flex on. Just imagine having that flex. Just yeah. like you go to an anthrax show and you see him and you're like, you don't fucking know this, but I'm living in your house. Yeah, dude. yeah. It was funny when, when Troman started playing in the damn things with him. It was like, oh, yeah. Small world, you know, but I'm not sharing everybody else's personal information. <laughs> well, even like I used to work at the Pete's Coffee out in Naperville. And when I covered the ones in Downers Grove, they'd be like, oh, yeah, some of the guys from Rise Against just casually come in here and hang out. Yeah. And I was like, I used to see Tim at Woodfield Mall with yep. pushing a baby stroller. That kid's probably like a teenager now. Yes. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did make. I did make a salted caramel soy mocha for Tim Higginson when I worked at the Starbucks in Oak Brook Mall. Tom. Tom Higginson. Tom, yeah. I'm getting mixed up. I st- but I made it and I was freaking out the entire it time. Like, it took me five seconds to think of who that was. It wasn't even like a real like immediate We're reaction. We're saying Tim too much oh, and I was like, oh, another T. Oh. It was Tom Higginson. I was freaking out and my shift supervisor wouldn't let me freak out about it. She was like, just make the goddamn like, soy salted caramel mocha they with would, whip. Like, they would give me time to like talk to people. Like every time uh, Tim McKellar would come in, they'd be like, do you want to help him? I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> For sure. That so guy's very like, nice too. He's super <laughs> yeah, nice. And nice. He, he felt a little bit more like, like I don't really want to be recognized. I'm just trying to do my thing. And he had his daughter with him. So I was like, I don't want to be creepy. I'm just like, I'm going to help you. Like I'm a, I'm a fan, but like, yeah, we'll just like get through this. And I'm just standing there just like, <laughs> and that was back when I was like doing original music stuff too. So it's like, you always have that thing in the back of your head where I'm like, do I hand him a mixtape? I don't have a mixtape. <laughs> do I tell him check out my band do on MySpace? Do I make a mixtape? I remember seeing Matt Skiba at Woodfield Mall and just like, oh my God, crying. Yeah. You know, like, it was like, like uh, Bill Beckett and I like were just like eating at Sabaro Pizza at the mall, <laughs> and we saw Matt Skiba walking by with a skateboard, and we like just shit ourselves. <laughs> You'd be and like, then... "Fuck this Sabaros, Matt Skiba's <laughs> over there." Nah, I love Sabaros. Uh, yeah, Sabaros is so good. I fuck with that garlic bread they have, yeah, real hard. Really, baby. Oh, it's like when I'm at Woodfield. I'm like, "Is this what I want?" This is what it I is want. what you want. It's what I go there for. They have a whole new fucking food court in there now. I know. I went. They have a whole ass organic like that, like fast food thing there. Yeah. It is. They massive. have a stand during like the height of Academy's popularity. I would come home from tour and be really lonely because it was like it was a kind of a roller coaster of like being on the road and like talking mm-hmm. to that kid outside the bus and like getting to have that and then coming back and like being eighteen in the suburbs yeah. and like having my mom pissed and telling me to clean my room and like (laughs) it was a weird thing and like i would just get in the car and like i was just learning how to drive still and like would just drive to woodfield mall and like and do nothing i wouldn't buy anything i just walk around that's that's suburbia 101 and like and it was cool because like kids would know who i was which was a weird shocking thing especially if i'd go with bill beckett like Mm -hmm. girls would go wild of course and like it was cool it was a weird that was a very interesting time in my life and like Woodfield Mall was always like the place I could go to like feel like a normal kid you know? <laughs> it was fun it was because I I think I'm probably like a couple years younger than you how old are you I'm 32 I'm 31 man oh Jesus Christ <laughs> wow you're still my old decrepit man uh, <laughs> fucking fucking shit yeah man I got started early anyway uh, I got started yeah early. yeah well <laughs> 
Anyway, so I started hanging out at Woodfield because I'm like, this is where all of the local suburb emo kids go to stunt. Yeah. And then I was like, I'm going to stunt on them so hard. I'm going to get a job at Hot Topic. Stop. And then I started working at the Hot Topic there and I was like, shit. (laughs) I made the mistake of getting a, a retail job at the place where I hang out, hating it. And then just meeting like a bunch of like emo scene kids that then would like, oh, you want to go to the show? And I'm like, yeah. And then I, I was a go to the shows all the time. I remember meeting Patrick Stump at Sam Goody. Holy shit. There mm. at uh, not Woodfield at uh, Old Orchard. I think it was somewhere out north out there. Yeah, that's that's Skokie. Yeah, 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 yeah it sounds about right. Orchard, but inside. So I don't know. My memory is a little hazy on it, but I met him there and I. Uh, I just remember as the band was coming up, like thinking about the fact that like, I mean, a lot of people called our band and our genre like mall music. Mm-hmm. And like, I think at the time I felt offended by that, but now <laughs> looking back on it and like meeting like Patrick at the mall and like going to like hot topic and with those guys or my band and everything like it really was kind of like the, this, I mean, Woodfield mall is like a, oasis of like culture in an area that is not cultured and yeah and nothing in like the post mall rats (laughs) world like yeah it was a cool place to go yeah it was the coolest place that i knew you know (laughs) like the city doesn't really have that now that i'm an adult i mean i guess it does and it's like certain hangouts parsons or something and i don't go there you know i remember like like, i would always want to come to the city and hang out at like belmont and clark where all like the thrift stores were and that was like where all the hipster kids were hanging out so i'd always be like man can you drive me to the city to go and hang out at the at the alley and uh what was the other one that like four story like army surplus store why are you looking at me asking i i I was like eight year eight nine years old jesus christ i uh (laughs) the fallout boys were like the first guys that i knew that like had any access to the city is that you know, do like, you refer to them as the fallout boys <laughs> no, that that's real, that's real dad that rock of you right now do, yeah I, I do refer to them as, that, as a collective and like those were the first guys i ever knew that like had a, had cars or apartments mm. like like looking back on it they were like total dorks that live with their parents but like for me when i was 15 it was like you guys are like grown-ups you know yeah. like they they had an apartment in moscow village and like Oh, like yeah. they had parties and like it was amazing to be invited to parties with people in their 20s you know and like and the pick me up cafe was like their hangout yep. every night and like i would go there and it was just like i felt like i had entered like greenwich village in like 1961 you know or something like that like Damn. it felt like i was somewhere really cool even though like i was hanging out with a bunch of guys was... that lived in their parents houses yeah but like you know like yeah. eating vegan yeah, treats yeah but it was uh chicago's great it was that was a great uh, time period. Black Rose season says, yeah, they had an apartment with some dude living in the closet. Yeah, John Regan. <laughs> we yeah. know oh, who this man John John his name is closet. now. Troman lived in the closet for a while too. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Did they rotate? It sounds like they did. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I'm glad they each you know gave each other a turn. I don't think Troman paid, paid rent there. I think he was still like living at home and just kind of crashed. crashed there. But uh, it was crazy. They had like root beer keggers and stuff like that. <laughs> Wow, they were love still that. very much like a straight edge hardcore band and uh at that point in time and yeah i remember like getting grounded for like disappearing to the city for, <laughs> for a period of time and like looking back on it i'm sure my mother was like now she's really glad that i was doing that you know like just based on the experiences that followed but, yeah but it, it was a little bit of a crazy moment 
in that whole time period, like the punk rock scene was, it was not the emo scene that it became. It was not necessarily like a safe space. Like mm. I was hanging out a lot in like Roselle under this overpass with like people that were doing cocaine and like, like <laughs> and then also straight edge people, you know, like there was like a weird hangout yeah, of like anyone that was kind of a punk was there. Yeah. You know, it was one guy's just more awake than everybody else. Yeah. yeah. One dude just is, yeah. One dude's like super hyped and like yeah. ready to like beat up a wall when you're like, okay, well, let's not do that. My well, guy. I was glad that I was on like the side of the tracks that had like the straight edge kids and like, mm-hmm. For a lot of high school kids, that's when people started kind of going off the rails, like partying. I do think music was one of the things, and those guys in particular kind of like were really good influence on me in a lot of ways, you know. So mm-hmm. music kind of was like my boys and girls club. Of like, yeah. Like uh, men- those guys like mentored me, and like I got really into like putting X's on my hands, and, you know, like, <laughs> even though like I definitely like didn't even know where to begin looking for drugs <laughs> yeah. i knew that i wouldn't if i could no, that that's a mood uh, yeah. i find it so interesting though is that at least when i was in high school like seven years ago yeah seven seven Jesus eight christ sorry you're old everything you but... say is attacking <laughs> <laughs> even when i was in high school it a straight edge i'd be like yeah i'm straight edge and they'd be like i don't know what that is here's a beard i'm like that's just a not that's, that's just not that's in exactly my guy the opposite. and then <laughs> now i see so many more straight edge kids coming out of the woodwork and i'm like where the where the fuck were you where were, you guys? Where were you when i needed you yeah. i was uh this is a weird it's a weird sentence to say i was uh one of three straight edge kids in my college fraternity you were in a fraternity yeah like it's just a weird fucking sentence why are you in a fraternity <laughs> what really not, compels you to do this uh group of friends basically i went to college and knew one other person and then just met like a bunch of other people that were all into the same stuff like uh me and a couple other guys drove to see um alkaline trio and rise against at the congress one year like we went to taste of chaos with like thrice and deftones like with another group like it was just like a bunch of kids that were just like oh let's just get together and do this and then you like read all the fraternity shit and you're like yeah it wasn't like that like for me like we were the weird kids who just like we had a rule against playing Magic the Gathering in our lounge areas because that's we probably were like, a good rule. Usually, we were trying to play like Super Smash Brothers in the lounge, <laughs> so it's like you're interrupting like our time. For you're Smash interrupting Brothers. a significantly more superior game. Yeah, Thank I'm trying you. to set up my GameCube out here. Like, please move your cards off the table. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I mean, lately I've been like, um, it's been just about two years since I've had alcohol, and like, I've reconnected with the part of me that really enjoyed not straight edge culture but like Mm -hmm. i'm kind of like a puritan when it comes to alcohol (laughs) now and like i try not to be preachy just like i didn't like people that were preachy back then but Mm -hmm. like uh i'm starting to enjoy the music that i liked then Mm. all over again like there's i'm finding i like heavier music and like not necessarily hardcore but like like i've found really into like strike anywhere again Mm -hmm. and like fucked up and those like Mm. i've been like the part of me that like doesn't like to drink alcohol and identify with straight edge i'm actually like finding that in music again a little bit more of like a political undertones and like mm-hmm. boy sets fire was like my favorite band when i was like 15 oh, yeah. and it was like very like the the singer was like a gay straight edge guy and it was like really oh, that's like, cool politically charged and like um i was very like i mean when i was 15 like right when the band started i um, my father passed away from doing drugs and like mm. I it was like a brutal thing to go through so I was like very very opinionated about not doing drugs mm. and I remember 
going to the apartment that William and Mike from Academy were living in and a cloud of weed smoke came out and I remember like wanting to quit the band immediately. Wow. And then like by the end of that summer I was really stoned and eating hot pockets. But, like, <laughs> but for those a good moment that I was like very, very adamant about not drinking or taking any sort of drug. Damn. But yeah, not anymore. <laughs> well, yeah. How do you feel though about how even modern bands now, like either they're punk or emo or whatever we want to classify it as, mm. how either apolitical or political that they are in their music now? Comparatively, I, I mean, these days, like, I like to get my politics from books, not even, not even the news, you know, like I like to, like I was saying, yeah, I think before we were on, like, I like to study things that like happened 15 years ago and no, no sooner, you know, like, <laughs> um, I like to let things kind of gestate cause you can kind of look at them a little more like clearly, you know, you can see the result of what happened. Like the war in Iraq is like just now becoming something we can really look at and understand like what happened, you know? And with as far as politics go like i mean it's just got to be good you know like like strike anywhere was like a really political band but i don't even know that that's what i liked about them i just liked the way that they sounded mm. and uh i don't really think i cared for like overtly political punk like i don't to be honest with you i never really liked american punk music very much mm. like i didn't grow up on rancid or uh any of those bands i got into them later on but I really like the British punk and like that stuff got political at times, but it also like, like Mick Jones and the clash, like wrote songs about girls, you know, like, mm -hmm. and that's what I always liked was just like songs about girls still to this day. That's like what I want to listen to. Mm -hmm. And I like political music, but not when it's like, I mean, I worked a show in Vermont selling merch. I used to work at a venue up there and I sold merch for Billy Bragg who's like yeah. considered like a like a great political writer and like to be honest with you I thought it sucked and like I met him and spoke to him afterwards and he was a total jerk <laughs> and like you can go on there and like talk about like working for the man or whatever but like I don't know man <laughs> like it's sometimes <laughs> contrived yeah so for me it's just like I don't know I like the way like I like Fall Out Boy better now than I did like back then even like wow. songs about girls man <laughs> I like it. This hits you. It hits you differently. Like I think that um, what was really what's really interesting to me looking back at like the music movements, like when political movements were happening. This is based on like something we talked a couple episodes ago. Um, Gerard Way uh, was saying that he doesn't think My Chemical Romance was necessary after Obama was elected. It just wasn't like the same mood in the country anymore. Yeah. And he was writing really depressing music about life and, and love and, and all this stuff. And then it's like, well, we don't need that anymore. That's not what the music needs to be. And I think about how like Fall Out Boy and Panic and, and all these bands like grew so big at the same time. Uh, Hawthorne Heights being on TRL and shit. And it's like, but why do we need Hawthorne Heights right now? Because I didn't need Hawthorne Heights at the time and I still don't think I do. But <laughs> you, you be quiet. Uh, don't need them. Um yeah. but I I <laughs> yeah. I uh I, I kinda see the same thing where it's like, yeah, it just it it died out after two thousand and eight when people tended to feel more like, oh, things are happening that I wanted to happen. I don't feel the same sort of like anger and disillusionment that I did when this music was getting really big. And then all the music kind of changed. Uh and I don't I think 
I didn't really listen to a ton of Academias after 2008. It was mostly like Santi. I don't think and, we uh, made anything after 2008. Yeah, it was like, uh, <laughs> it was like, that's a great time to stop listening. Yeah, exactly. Actually, yeah, because I remember um, uh, Barrington High was, yeah, that was the, yeah, I didn't really like that record. Oh, well, yeah. I, then I'll um, say whatever I want to say about yeah. it. So cool. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different can of worms. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, the, the interesting thing with Academy was like when we started, our second practice, I think we ever had, we were like kind of just writing our first songs, the ones that we would have been playing at like Knights of Columbus. And like mm-hmm. we put on like, we had like a demo that we put out mm-hmm. in 2003. And like when we were writing those songs, like there was like a, an old TV on in the background and it was on mute. And our first practice ever was on March 4th, 2003. I remember because it was my brother's 18th birthday. It's also Casimir Pulaski Day, so if you're Polish <laughs> in Chicago, you know, you know what's up. But uh, we were we were out in the burbs, and I think our second practice, I skipped to go to a Big D and the Kids Table show at the Fireside, and I almost got fired from the band right away for, for skipping. So like around, I'd have to look at the date, but my my memory serves. The the second practice we ever had when we first really started like writing songs and kind of talking about what the sound was going to be. Uh, we had the TV on mute, but we were bombing Baghdad. And that night, the Operation Iraqi Freedom, I think is what they were calling mm-hmm. it. The night that that began was kind of the night that the Academy is began. Hmm. And I think that we initially had like a political edge and we had, you know, we had this whole thing. I was going to scream in the band. <laughs> Ooh, and huh. like I was kind of all right at it too. I would take that like tuxedo vocal spray or whatever and like really go for it. <laughs> yeah. And like, I could do it. And yeah. like, I was like, we, we, we were kind of wanting to be that. Yeah. And I think pretty quickly we abandoned that idea. But what's interesting to me is like, th- I remember that so vividly and like the war starting and like friends from high school, like going off to like fight. I don't really know anyone that died, but I know like people went over to Afghanistan and Iraq mm-hmm. and, and I went on tour and it's a weird thing for me because between like 2004 and 2010 like i don't it, i don't know what happened i really don't yeah. like i phones weren't really such a thing mm-hmm. like i wasn't waking up and reading the news i was in a parking lot talking to other bands and hanging out and in many ways it was like the best time of my life but as far as like politics go anything like that like i mean i remember when obama was elected and like i didn't vote i was on tour and i didn't even know how to do an absentee ballot mm-hmm. and like you know, like I looking back on that, like, sure, it would have been great to vote. I, I, I knew who I was for. But everything that happened in those years, like I totally was just on a bus, like yellow submarine kind of vibe. Like mm-hmm. I was gone, man. You know, like I really don't like friends got married. I didn't I wasn't there. Yeah. You know, like a lot happened and I was just gone. And I'm kind of grateful for that. I feel like those years, like. I didn't really know anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> you got to just sort of shut down, shut off. It's been like a reconnecting in the years since the band ended of like, mm. just kind of like joining with the real world a little bit. Yeah. You know? That's interesting. Yeah. Like I, I didn't even think, cause, cause I was just so jealous that everybody had a, a, a sidekick and I couldn't get one cause I, I wasn't on one. T-Mobile. <laughs> it was the band phone. Like everybody who was in a band, was using a T-Mobile Sidekick because yeah. everybody had to be on MySpace all the time. Yeah. It was yeah, the only I mean, phone that had a T-Mobile MySpace Sidekick app. T-Mobile Sidekick was amazing. Like <laughs> Pete Wentz was the first guy I ever knew that had one, and like I immediately had to get one. Yeah. It was the first phone I ever had, and uh, I even had the D Wade, like the Dwayne oh Wade God. edition. Oh my god! <laughs> Jesus! But like, 
uh, the sidekick like was just like basically like I could take AOL Messenger with me and yeah. like for like an emo dude in that era like the sidekick was just for talking to chicks you know like I didn't kind look of. at the news or anything I didn't even really surf the web or anything yeah. it was like talking to other bands for one like mm-hmm. which was a huge thing but like in like meeting bands that like we hadn't ever met before like I remember talking to like uh, the guys from like Steve from Punchline on AOL mm-hmm. and being like your band's good let's do a show and then we did it you know like or like uh, there was We The People records and like I remember like meeting a lot of people on the internet and that was like the new medium and mm-hmm. purevolume.com and like things like that like um, but yeah the sidekick was really like a portal for like talking to babes and <laughs> and like it's, it's funny now looking back with like the Me Too stuff because like our band like was really like at least then at least uh, from my own perspective I can't speak for everybody in the band mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> Adam Siska is the only one being interviewed right now. Yeah, Adam Siska, this okay. is his only perspective. But like the emo thing kind of like had this like be a really nice guy mentality. Mm-hmm. And like I remember like the competition was like who can be the nicest to girls? <laughs> <You> know, like <laughs> huh. it really was like huh. and I don't I know that didn't go for everybody. But well, for me, yeah. it was like like I, I was definitely the crying shoulder for like everyone in like this. Six three zero eight four seven area. <laughs> like oh yeah, this, uh... yeah. Like don't worry. Like he's a jerk. <laughs> Do you like me? No. Okay. I have a record. Do you like me now? <laughs> Still no. Crap. You know. Actually, uh, at uh, least you weren't like oh no, I'm friend zoned. Yeah. Yeah. True. That's it that's was, the good thing. I that... was very friend zoned. I was in, definitely in the friend zone. <laughs> so tragic. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to read a couple comments. Uh, I thought you said Nick Jonas at first, and I got so confused. We can talk about Nick Jonas. I mean, I love Nick Jonas. Listen. Uh, Really nice guy. I've met him a couple of times. Nicole12355 asks, I got a question. Which tour was your favorite that you've done? I went to lots of the tours in high school, LOL. And she also said that she went to high school seven years ago, too. So. What's up? Are you 24, 23, or 25? Okay. Way to know all the like possible high school ages. I mean, I have friends all in that area, plus you. <laughs> My outlier. My favorite tour I ever did. I look at 2004 as like one long tour. And that was kind of like pre almost here coming out. Mm-hmm. But that was the most fun I ever had touring because we were in a van, which, you know, it doesn't necessarily like sound as fun because. It was a lot of more work, mm. but I think that's what made it stand out to me in my memory. And like, we did this moment where we we went on tour and like didn't come home like for like over a year. We were always on tour, mm. and looking back on at the the laminates from that era, like we did, we opened up for Lucky Boys Confusion, which was like kind of a mediocre tour, but we went right into. Motion City soundtrack, mm. which is when things started to like, or no, we went right into Armor for Sleep. So it was, we opened, snaked across the crown, very underrated band. I loved them. Uh, this band called Number One Fan from Wisconsin and then Armor for Sleep. And tour was awesome. And then we went right into Motion City soundtrack, Limbeck and Tsunami Bomb. That was awesome. And from that tour on is when we started to like gain traction. We didn't mm. have a record out, but like, people were starting to like talk about it and we went right from that into 
this like Christmas tour with Fall Out Boy, Midtown, and Gym Class Heroes. It was only like four days. And then we went right from that into something corporate. And after the something corporate tour, like it was on. Like yeah. people were coming out. The record came out on that tour. We went right from that into the Fueled by Ramen and Friends tour with Fall Out Boy. And that I would have to say definitively was like my favorite tour we did just because Fall Out Boy, that was their first tour on a bus. They had just like at the end of that tour, Cork Tree came out. So like things were getting big. Yeah. And it was like we were doing what we always did with friends from the suburbs of Chicago, but it started to feel like it was becoming like dreams were coming true. You yeah. Know? So that whole run, I know I just said a lot of things, but like that no, I mean, run, <laughs> it was a crazy moment where like my favorite tour was the year 2004. Yeah. <laughs> in Into 2005 too, because we kept yeah. doing it. We did that summer. We did warped a little bit. We did all American rejects that fall. It was awesome. And then we did our first headlining tour, mm. which was amazing. Nice. So, yeah. Well, there you go. And Nicole is 24 years old. What's up? Me too. I don't uh, know anyone who's 24 years old. Now, you, you know me are? now. No one person. <laughs> you know me now. Um, yeah. If anybody else has any questions, I will, uh, I'll ask them for now. Sweet. Uh, that was the only one that I saw. Yeah. So ask some questions, guys. Um, Nicole also says, uh, the Academy is an armor for sleep with my favorite bands. I missed one show in high school was with TAI and armor for sleep. I missed it for a chorus concert. I got an A though. That's great. I mean, that's good. good that's job. more important. That, that was 2007 sleeping with Jeez. giants tour. That was a really good tour. That was the longest tour we ever did. It was like 65 dates, which like is a lot of tour dates. And, <laughs> and we had like, we had, there was two legs of it with a week off in between for Bill's daughter to be born. Wow. And then we went right back out. Like, wow. We toured a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so it was crazy. A lot of hustle. Yeah. Um, you are, I guess, kind of, we have some people that listen to this, I assume, for more like music business end of things. Yeah. And like understanding like how to get a career. So obviously I think that when, you know, a lot of the bands, especially in, in Chicago with Fall Out Boy and um, Fuel by Ramen and picking up a lot of that and then Pete starting to cadence and picking up bands uh, that he liked or he knew um, to be on that. Obviously, that 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 helps to get uh, a record deal and to get on the road and to get what you need to do it. Yeah. Um, I don't think the the environment is still the no. same at, at all. <laughs> in very, a way. Very different. Yeah. So, I mean what do you think now if like somebody's like a, a band starting out and they don't have connections like do you think there's any possibility for them to go anywhere <laughs> and it's like reality of it is like do you think there's a possibility i juggle it? with that you know like i i have a friend here who was like trying to start a band with me and mm. and uh, he was a talented writer and stuff like that and i just it's difficult you know i i can't say that i would like recommend getting into it but like at the same time like people have to keep doing this in order mm -hmm. for it to mean anything and like um it, you know i'm firsthand somebody who can say like dreams came true you know and like at that time period in 2004 like nobody knew what to do i mean napster had just come out like they were basically saying that the music business was like over mm -hmm. And like, you know, I don't think that one thing that is really unique to our particular little scene. And when I'm speaking of that, I'm not necessarily speaking of like decadence and everything like that. More so like Knights of Columbus mm -hmm. 
And with that, I would lump in the Academy is in Fall Out Boy and then maybe some other bands that you didn't hear about. Or if you did, then you were there and you know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And it was amazing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when, when Academy is was starting, there was this band called Fairweather on Equal Vision. And I remember specifically being like, we're going to be as big as them. And being like, no, way. that's never going to happen. You know, and like, like, I think we could, like, we could mean anything as close to, and like most of you probably haven't heard of Fairweather or don't listen to them, you know, like, so it was, the mindset was really small. And I, I don't know if that was the case for, for like Pete specifically in Fall Out Boy. Like, I think he was a very savvy businessman from mm -hmm. the get go. And I think he getting into pop punk was a business decision compared to hardcore. And I think I was really lucky to be like a bystander for his brilliant agenda. And like, you know, I, as much as when I was in Academy is I hated to be like pigeonholed and, and like feel like I was riding the coattails of somebody else's success. But looking back on it now, like, yeah, 100 percent. And <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think Almost Here was a good enough record that I do think we would have had some people listening regardless. But I think we were really lucky to ride in on that wave and the advice that i would give and i give this to like my buddy who wanted to start a band in logan square i see bands around here that are playing and they're playing at like bars and for people that are spending money at the at the bar and not at the merch table and they're not really even focused on giving a product to the people and for us you know, like I said, it was really easy because there was already this scene that we like showed Academy has showed up really late to the Knights of Columbus scene and we got in just in time mm -hmm. because we were part of ending it in a way. Like mm -hmm. we took it with Fall Out Boy and it, I think we, that was really it took it to like a national level or like at least a regional level. We started going to play in Michigan and Minnesota and stuff like that. We were always looking for, and I, I can speak this because I saw Pete doing it firsthand and those guys were really savvy. They weren't playing in the city to their friends, mm -hmm. which they had plenty of. I didn't know who they were. They were getting me. Before I was in a band, I was a diehard Fall Out Boy fan. Mm -hmm. I was like, on, I would, I was their webmaster. I would go on and update <laughs> the site for them. And oh like, my God. Because they didn't have that capability from their phones and stuff back then. And they knew that if they could get kids energized that that counted for something because people over 25 or even over 20 they don't they're not looking for something to believe in they're looking on how to like pay the bills mm. so kids are really the place to go and when i talk to friends and bands in logan square and i go see their bands play and they're playing to like people that like have jobs and are paying or drinking at the bar or like paying the Coke dealer or whatever. Like those are not who you want to get to listen to your band. I always say like burn like a thousand CDs, mm. find like your cousin who goes to like lane tech and tell him to show it to everybody at school mm. and then invite those kids to like a show at like a VFW hall. Like yeah. the youth is always going to be where it's at because they're passionate and they're looking for something to believe in. You know, as at 31, I don't believe in anything. <laughs> like I question everything. I see bands and I say, are they really good? I don't really know. It's a different thing. As a kid, I would have died for the bands I believed in. And I really do. I think that's the really the avenue to go down. For Academy, when we came out, we made two songs. We 
gave ever, always give your music out for free. And I know that's different now with digital because everything's free, but like, and maybe don't give a hard copy, but like put your lyrics out there, give people stickers, build mm -hmm. your street team, build a culture with Academy before we even had more than two songs, we started building a brand and other bands hated us because <laughs> we came in more confident than they did. And we stole their audience. They did all the groundwork and we came in and like just milked it all with having a brand. I think that's so interesting because there's a lot of bands. They just start it and they're like, I'm just here for funsies. And then they eventually fall into it yeah. from what I've noticed, especially around here. I also find it interesting how there's a lot of bands, at least in the city who pretty much almost refuse to play suburban shows or they just really do not want to like they'll do it but they'll complain about it yeah. and i think that's kind of that's ridiculous the only place i would play if i were a band that was in my first year or two of playing the Sorry. city means nothing well the city can mean something if you're trying to be the kings of logan square mm -hmm. and play to people's coke dealers but that's not <laughs> i mean some people really want that mo any, that doesn't mean anything you know like and you can look down on like mall music or whatever you call it, but I've got a few friends that bought some really big houses and touched a lot of people's lives while they were doing it, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, you gotta, you gotta go somewhere where it means something. And, and I really think that that is where that scene succeeded. And, you know, for me, I was like on the other end of it, I was a believer. I mean, I would go to those shows every weekend and I would make my own flyers for those shows on like on like the paints and on like my yeah. crappy old computer. Yeah. And I would tell everyone to come to the Fall Out Boy show. When those Knights of Columbus shows were happening, I think at least 40% of the crowd were kids from Barrington that I told to go. And like, what's amazing is like John Janik from Feel by Ramen flew in to see Fall Out Boy and he went to Knights of Columbus and there was only 300 people there, but they were going absolutely insane and singing every word. That matters more than playing at a big venue in the city that's empty. You yeah. Know, like you, you, I don't understand why bands get obsessed with like, I want to be at house of blues. I want to be at all these giant venues like the Metro. Like, yeah, sure. You can rent out the Metro yeah. and it's like what a 1500 cap venue. We or used something? to play the yeah. Metro and it would be free. Yeah. It would be a thing where we would print out tickets and they would tally who brought in the most people and they would get paid accordingly. Mm -hmm. And it was like a showcase and that was it. And yeah. then other than that, I mean, the only paying shows we ever did were at teen centers and Knights of Columbus, mm -hmm. stuff like that. And it was amazing. I mean, the fact that that even existed is beyond me. And I don't, I don't know if that still exists, but it, it should, because like I said before, like it was really like my boys and girls club. Like mm -hmm. I was heading down a really weird path as a kid. And like my father passed away and it was getting weird. And as soon as I went to Knights of Columbus, it clicked and I like, I knew exactly what I needed to do. And it wasn't necessarily that I was even going to be in a band because I didn't even know how to play bass, you know, but like I knew that I just wanted to get as close to that as possible. Mm -hmm. And with, with that, I would say a record label isn't looking for good songs. They're looking for a good culture because somebody like John Janik, you know, that guy from Feel by Ramen who mm -hmm. flew in and like slept on somebody's couch and, signed academy is signed uh, fallout boy signed august premiere was the first band he signed mm. uh he's the president of interscope now and like he's he's the guy yeah you know? he, and and i can tell you firsthand like 
I mean, it may have changed a little for him. He's looking for hits, but like beyond hits, he's looking for somebody that can like move the cultural compass a little bit, you know, and Fall Out Boy really was that. I think Fall Out Boy and bands like that and Taking Back Sunday before them and really saved the music business. Mm -hmm. I think the music business did not know what to do. And emo came out with this new way of connecting with people. And that's what hip hop is now. I mean, yeah. emo yeah. kind of got a lot of its idea from hip hop too. Like, or not even hip hop, but like even like Sun Records and like the old country stuff, like mm -hmm. driving around in like an old Buick and like selling records out of your car. <laughs> like that was it. Yeah. Like, like talk to your audience, play your show and stop partying. For one, for one stop drinking and for partying. Once. Go talk to people. Yeah. Stop talking to girls after your show stop <laughs> trying to impress people talk to people try to make a difference in your community because those are the people that are going to ultimately believe in your band yeah. i think it's also that like right now at least in the burbs i think there's only one place that actually actually puts on pop punk shows anymore i think and it's uh, yeah, in downtown a downers lot of that is kind of downers stopped grove. we used to go there were there were shows at the church basement in downers grove mm -hmm. i remember downers grove rise against divide by zero <laughs> and the opener was fall up i really was oh, truly yeah. born too late yeah you were i really missed like the main part where i would you know have thrived sucks? being born at the right time and then not going to any of it and then going oh yeah i really like that i i in high school i was friends and i think you know like jack Marin from yeah, october fall I do, yeah I haven't so seen i was friends with jack uh a little bit in high school i was friends of friends and all that and then october fall started to get big because they had known fall boy too and i think they i don't know the whole scene because i wasn't really in, super involved with it and then all of a sudden like they blew up and i was like well i like metal and i fucking hate all this shit and i'm gonna Stop. be so edgy and angry <laughs> all the time and now i look back and i go fuck i really missed out like being like an edgelord and trying to be like i fucking hate all of it i'm gonna go and like i got nowhere yikes <laughs> i only went to like what was it? I saw like Evanescence in high school. I mean, like, I love was, like, Evanescence. Shit, like at so... the time, so I'm like, eh, like that's just my. It was my. It wasn't my scene at the time. And now I look back and I go, these records are good. I enjoy them. Like I'm singing along to my car now, and I'm like, man, I really <laughs> fucked up not going to this. The only bands that I saw at Knights of Columbus were, uh, uh, Barrier Dead and Walls of Jericho was oh one God. show, and I was like, I am not Walls of Jericho, ready to be at this fucking hardcore show. Uh, I hope did you get beaten up? No, I stood off to the side far enough okay. where nobody. You would you hit knew me. you knew. Uh, there was a few hardcore things I was into, but it was a brief moment for me. Like I was yeah. never angry enough to. <laughs> like, what made you so angry, Brian? Um, just you know, hating people that were popular and uh, mainstream and so edgy. Just wanted to wear guy liner, and then like I finally figured <laughs> out like because all like my junior year of high school, like all the girls were like you look like Pete Wentz. And I was like, you're, no, I don't. Like, I don't look anything <laughs> like Pete Wentz. But it was just as like, I was one of the only like emo kids at the time. And then everybody started to get into The Used and uh, and, and all the other bands that were like more heavy, I think at that time. Oh, heavier, like, yeah. Yeah, like the, the screaming bands were more like around, like everybody was yeah. into those bands. It was um, weird. Like all my friends in high school got really into like that scene. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as... I was in a band that like got any sort of clout in the scene. I never saw any of those people again. Hmm. They like, I think there was some animosity or something. I don't know. 
every i think everyone wanted to get into it and i was not yeah. i was not particularly like talented <laughs> and i think that maybe upset people because uh, it probably was like, yeah it was like, i was also friends with a lot of musicians and yeah. like i had a band that was like looking back at it you're like our songs weren't good <laughs> we had no dedication to it everybody wanted to do other things like it wasn't your first priority and then even when i try to make it my priority it's like trying to drag four other people along with you is like always going to be yeah. the thing um so in high school it was like when all this stuff was happening it's like this could be me if i just put in that time a little bit more and the right way and then it was like yeah but now the 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 ship has sailed like the wave is gone and and That's you weren't it, on it it's amazing how it happens i mean like i mean i'd kill to like get involved in some great scene and get to do it all over mm -hmm. again like if i knew then what i knew now <laughs> you know like i mean i always say like i i wish that i could put out almost here now you yeah know? like i would know how what to do with it you know at the time it was just like I had no idea what yeah. to do. I mean, I, I had a lot of problems. <laughs> I was a weird, I was a weird kid. You know, like, <laughs> I like, I don't know. It's a, you don't get to do things twice. You know? <laughs> That's the yeah. fortunate. Sometimes thing. you do, but yeah. Um, ask a couple of questions here. Black Rose Season asks favorite, uh, the Academy is song. Hmm. This will be a long pause as we. Is get it? Time yeah, I don't know. I mean. <laughs> I think it. I kind of like "Season" from Almost Here. Mm. I like that one. That was the first song we wrote for the record, and I think we knew right away that we were on to something differently. Because I don't know if you've heard anything from like the EP we did before Almost Here, but no. like, yeah, it was pretty weird. And like, <laughs> people in like the local scene liked it, but mm -hmm. like, I don't know, man. <laughs> it was like we were trying to be like Coheed or something like that. Oh my yeah. god! It was a lot more like conceptual and like mm. a little all over the place and like season we ripped off queens of the stone age a little bit it had this kind of like on the toms yeah sort of groove and like just something about like that palm muted riff i felt like we were our writing progressed and like i, I don't know how it did but like it, it just did uh, and I'd have to say that song's probably my favorite. There's only one song on that record that I don't like, and it's Skeptics and True Believers. Yeah. And we didn't like it. It's too, too pop punk. And if the the rest of that record, you know, a lot of people look at that as a pop punk record, but like, I think it's only really in the way it was recorded. It was really gritted and like really, mm -hmm. really like airtight. And if I could do it over again, it wouldn't be so like just concise I, I, it could have loosened up a little bit and yeah i think that's why i don't like skeptics and true believers if you listen to the chorus it's like really like just like i don't know i hate it <laughs> so everybody just stop listening to it yeah people liked it you know yeah. there's one guy on a plane one time he's like i love your band skeptics and true believers i was like Ooh. like uh, yeah. you're like Ooh. and then you know i like the santi record like uh mm -hmm. people like that record too like the narrative behind it is that it was kind of like the Pinkerton or whatever like that. Only I think people love Pinkerton a lot more than they love Santi because it's way better. But like, <laughs> but there was definitely this weird like shift after that record came out. And like in the end, I'm proud of it because at that point in time, like the scene had gotten so big and everyone wanted another fallout boy. Yeah. And like, and we, I mean, looking back on it and like my bank account and everything, like I wouldn't have mind being in like a, 
a fallout boy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but like we would have sold a lot more purple hoodies at hot topic or something, but like, I wish I bought a purple but hoodie. <laughs> there was something that I'm, I am proud of that we like made a weird left turn. And I don't think we knew we were even doing it, but like we, we kind of threw out the blueprint. We made a weird, like we tracked the music live on that record and it sounds like really raw and, I don't know. We did something different and I'm glad we did. And I don't think it's a great record. I think almost here in terms of the emo scene, I think that's a great record. Mm -hmm. I don't think Santi is, but I do think it's a cool record that we made, you know, and my favorite song on that is the last song. It's called unexpected places. And I think we played it live like twice. I don't think anyone really liked it that much, mm -hmm. but I liked it a lot. I thought it was good. Nice. I thought it was lyrically uh, the best song on that record. Uh, Black Rose Season says Santi is God tier. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was that good. <laughs> Stop listening. Um, let me see if there's some other questions here. Are we ever going to hear TII 4? I think that's a no, probably at this point. Like, you don't, I, I'm assuming you don't know if you're going to do anything else. Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, there is a record that. Oh, never well, then came, never mind. It never oh. came out. And I don't, I don't know if I would call it a whole record, but there's songs there and like. Hmm. In a weird way, like I think <laughs> when we were doing that record in 2010, it was like ahead of its time. And I remember like management being like, there's not really a lot of guitar here. You guys are a guitar band. And we were like, yeah, well, it was funny. When we were writing the last record, our manager called us and he was like, it was the day after the Super Bowl when the Saints started the second half with an onside kick and like, just dominated uh, Peyton Manning and the Colts. And uh, all those words didn't make any sense. Right. To me. It was a big sports moment. <laughs> so, a big sports ball moment sports? went down. Yeah, so, someone did good sports. So some people will know what I'm talking about. But <laughs> our manager called us and he's like, that's what you guys need. You need an unexpected onside kick. Like, you got to like do something really different this time. So we did. And we added a keyboard player and like went for this kind of different sound. Mm -hmm. And the label didn't like it and the management didn't like it and then we broke up oh and well. then that sound kind of became like the thing the thing that everyone's doing yeah. now and i don't think that what we did was as like espn as so much of the stuff that like everyone does now yeah like imagine dragons and stuff like that yeah. Uh, yikes we can drag them on this podcast if you want yeah to. i think they're good you know, oh, I, I hate them but i think they're good well, and I, I, thanks I, for coming, everybody. Yeah, I think <laughs> we all I have think to leave. Good, you know, like I mean, if I were a record label guy, I'd probably sign them. And I think that guy is really nice and smart and kind and all the all yeah. the above. So it's just like you know, I just look at it from that perspective. But like uh, that kind of thing, we were like a little bit ahead of. I think like we missed it a little bit, and if we put out that music now, I don't think it would be big for yeah. us. But I think it'd be worth people hearing they might hate it but <laughs> i think with the emo revival people would be like super hyped for it either way i think people would be like oh this doesn't sound like them but they came out with something yeah. i feel like they would just be happy I mean, with literally that. I the chat that... was just like please drop it <laughs> like immediately <laughs> i was think like, the All right. fourth best, best record or the fourth record that we were doing would have been the second best record that we did hmm. i think that we found the energy of like when we were it felt like we were making our first record in a way, you know, like, mm. which was a nice place to be in. And it sucks that it went the way that it did. Like the label didn't really like it. So they sent Bill in to do a lot of like co-writing with people mm. and 
that kind of some of the co-writing that he did i think became his solo record and i didn't really like it at all and that's kind of why the band ended it was like well forget this you know yeah. we were doing something we were passionate about and then we were doing this like bill had this song called like girl you should have been a drummer or something like that and i hated it and he, <laughs> he put it out and if, if he's listening to this sorry man i didn't like that <laughs> i don't i don't think you did either so it's all good but uh yeah you know like people do weird things in music man you know yeah so i think uh I think a lot more bands should experiment. And honestly, like, I think that music, I think the musicians kind of know where the scene is going. And I sometimes wonder if like management and labels do like, I think that they want to keep like, they want to keep it all in the same spot forever. They want to keep it just existing timelessly and it doesn't really change. But then when music does change, like now everything is emo hip hop. And so everybody's kind of scrambling to get somebody who does emo hip hop on their label so they can make money off of it. Yeah, I haven't heard like, any of that stuff. I know that's kind of a thing. It's, I yeah, honestly kind of like it. Yeah, I bet you. I mean, I, I bet you it's good. You have to really like, like find it. like the right emo hip hop. But uh, like when you find the right one, yeah. you're like, OK, I do this like nothing these. nowhere because like, that no, was, I like that nothing was like nowhere a, too. Yeah, I, mean, I lived in Vermont for five years. Yeah. I, I know he's from up there and like that alone makes me interested in like he has a lyric uh rep in vt like my name bernie sanders and i'm like i <laughs> love that i'm Immediate. into that let's I'm put the record on, on. <laughs> how put do you the feel record on. well how do you feel about how this whole diy culture is now like everyone's like i want to be diy and then you see the record labels trying to also brand as diy when it's not yeah. what it is how do you do you have any feelings or know how about that because it kind of is like they're trying to keep with the times but it's also like i mean i think backwards. that kind of in a nutshell is like what i was saying before where like the label had no when when a band like Fall Out boy showed up the big head honchos in those offices in new york or wherever they were were that was the luckiest day of their lives because they were scrambling wondering what to fucking do and then this band shows up that says wait they have fans and they make a ton of money <laughs> what are we supposed to do you know like yeah that's where the label is supposed to come in and to play yeah. and like the emo thing came in with this built-in audience and like the label didn't have to do anything you know like the label would give like tour support to young bands mm. academy has never touched any of that they would be like so we you need all this money we're like oh, no, no 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 like you'll see we sell a bunch of shirts <laughs> and that was it you yeah. know and like that's when they were like okay we better find a way to make money on the shirts and they started doing the 360 wow. deals and stuff like that you know because yeah. like that was kind of it and like yeah i mean the thing that's weird is like if i could do it all over again i would have never gone to a major label you know like that was you know it sounded like a great idea at the time but like the wave we were riding in on was big enough that the kids didn't really care <laughs> You know, I think that Fuel by Ramen would have been huge regardless of a, of a major label conglomerate behind mm -hmm. it. And Atlantic treated us well when when things were going well, yeah. you know, and they stopped treating us well when things stopped. And like looking back on it, it makes perfect sense. Like we stopped making them a bunch of money. Right. And they're like, OK, and bye. Like, I had this really eye opening experience where like in 2009, we did a tour where we put this band called Carolina Liar as the opener. And we had never heard of them they were not popular in the emo scene they sold like ten dollars of merch every night on our tour and they had a radio hit that was like platinum and we played at roseland in new york city which was our biggest headlining show we ever did there it was like 3500 or something like that it's a 
big artists now selling out that room that's an accomplishment you know like that venue's gone now but like uh 3500 people came out and the label came out and they took carolina liar the opener out to steak dinners because they had a song at radio mm. and we didn't we never had that we had yeah. a culture we had a ton of fans we were selling that band couldn't have sold out like a free show at like wow. empty bottle you know like yeah. and the i started to see that if we weren't gonna have a radio hit we had no business being on that label and that we kind of shot ourselves right in the ass with like signing that deal because we were angry saying the label doesn't care about us, but we weren't delivering the thing that we signed up to deliver. So, yeah. you know, the DIY thing, I mean, I would say if you're in a band, don't sign a record contract. I think it's way less necessary now too. Yeah, like I feel like it. it was the dream of 2005 was to get a record deal and like get all that opportunity. And I mean, when I, 2005, I didn't know what the fuck a record deal would do for you. Then you learn and you're like, Oh fuck, I never should have wanted that. I mean, right. For, for us, I mean, like they flew us out to LA. We went out to a nice dinner. Pamela Anderson was there at the table next to us. So kid you not. And was that the, a was that a move? Of was course, that like a, you know, like damn. We saw Pamela Anderson. We went to some party. Claudio from Coed and Cambria was there. Yeah. And we were like, Yeah, we'll sign. You know, I mean you're like, like we wine to dine and everything. Yeah. I'm I mean, here. That, that's what we the, the crazy thing was that we were done with almost here. The labels all liked it. I don't even think they listened to it, but they knew that there was like the new wave, you know, mm -hmm. and like, and they wanted in and there was like a bidding war between Sire and Atlantic, you know, like Sire was like a Warner Brothers conglomerate kind of deal. Lava Records, there was all, every major label wanted us and we went with Atlantic and we never made royalties because they put so much money into promoting the record mm -hmm. and none of that promotion stuff really mattered for anything and we made almost here for nine grand. We sold like, it's just shy of being a gold record. Mm -hmm. And we would have made a lot of money on that and we didn't. So it's yeah. like, the label, don't don't sign a record contract, you know? <laughs> Do that once you have nothing to lose. Yeah. Once you're in a position to tell them what you want and to control the, like, the outcome, like don't sign to a label. Build a culture, you know, and put it all online, tour, talk to people you know put it all out for free you know look at yeah. chance the rapper you know I mean, you can crazy. literally so, put out all your music for free yeah. grow better than you'd ever do on like trying to get signed to a record label yeah i mean they're not going to do anything with it the thing is if you make a thousand records you can sell all of them even if it takes you 10 years mm. if the label prints a hundred thousand records and you only sell a thousand of them they're going to stop doing anything to try to sell the rest of them they're going to go sit in a warehouse somewhere they're yep. gonna you know they're you're gonna go they've already lost a ton of money on you they're gonna stop taking any interest at all whereas it might not happen right away but if it's yours you can keep you know talking to people yeah you're gonna eventually sell those and then you can print another thousand you know it's it's a much better business platform so but cool cool man andrew did Jimmy Page actually come do an Academy show? He did. He did at uh, the House of Blues in L.A. And uh, Lior Cohen from the big the big shot guy that we signed the record deal with, <laughs> he, uh, he brought Jimmy Page with, with him to the House of Blues in L.A. And uh, I was in the dressing room. Lior comes in, and he's a big shot. He's, he was in the press this year because he was wearing a Make America Great Again hat with Kanye. Yikes. <laughs> Great guy though. 
<laughs> you can be a nice guy and have some he's like disagreements. a rich jewish guy you know like, yeah. I, I get it i think he liked the embassy move mm. but uh <laughs> he came in the dressing room and i was already nervous anytime he was around and he goes hey i want you to come meet my friend jimmy and i'm like of course like i'll be on my best behavior with anyone you want me to meet yeah so i come over and i'm like holy shit that's that's page you know? <laughs> so i talked to him a little bit he said some very kind of stuff that would get him canceled <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> he was kind of a raunchy Damn. dude <laughs> yeah but he was really nice he was sitting on a couch with like seven like beautiful women surrounding him that he wasn't talking to <laughs> and like you could tell we're just like escort type you know oh like, yeah uh, oh it was crazy but uh sorry if you're jimmy's wife and you're listening to this I can I can almost confidently say that she won't hear this. She's probably listening right now. Uh, what the fuck? I was just browsing Twitter and I hear my name. But uh, browsing Twitter. She was up on the balcony watching the show, and I was really embarrassed because like the baselines on almost here are like pretty tame, mm-hmm. and I felt pretty lame that he was watching it. And I was like, I would have practiced a lot more if I had known. To just be like, honest with you, though, I don't really like pages playing that much. Like. Mm. I don't really like Led Zeppelin and people get pissed at me. Oh, I hate Led the Zeppelin. The one song that I like is uh, Dire Maker mm, yeah. from House of the Holly. Holy. And, uh, I said Holly <laughs> okay. when I was a kid because I didn't know how it worked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, yeah, I was not really a big fan. I was still really starstruck. The thing that I was bummed about was that a few months later, Brendan Urey did an interview with Rolling Stone and he was like, yeah, Jimmy Page came to see us, and <laughs> that's not how it went down, man. <laughs> oh, my God. No. He came to see us. Wow. We were first. We were the OGs. No, we were not the headliners, you. But he's bro. like, well, I got to say something. Do you want to say anything uh, nice about Brendan Yuri? Yeah, great guy. Really great guy. Um, one of the best, actually. Um, panic. <laughs> had a huge part in the downfall of the academy is <laughs> well, <laughs> well here we go um, not anything they did in particular but you know i've never talked about this publicly at all so you're getting uh your spicy insider taste. scoop whoever these four people <laughs> yeah if they're still four all you idiots that were here uh, before and left you didn't hear any of this <laughs> um for like a year before uh before Panic at the Disco came out with the first record. Like, there was Fall Out Boy and there was The Academy Is, and the record label really loved us. We were their number two band. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that band showed up, I, we were playing in Vegas at this place called Jillian's. And uh, this guy, Scott Nagelberg, who still manages Panic to this day, he came and he goes, There's this band I might manage and they want to meet you guys. Can they come in? And we said, Of course. So they came in the dressing room and they were like really nervous. And Brendan had these like thick frame glasses on. He looked kind of like Hillary Swank in Boys Don't Cry. <laughs> and uh, Spencer was like baby fat. They were all just like really shy, mm-hmm. nervous, so happy to be meeting us. They liked the band. And uh, we kind of took them under our wing. Fall Boy took them under their wing. And that record came out. We were in the UK. And... Uh, it came out big. Like I think when Almost Here came out, it sold like 4,500 copies the first week, which is nothing by industry standards. But for a first time record we were putting out, you know, it, it was good. It was a good debut. Mm-hmm. Uh, Panic came out and sold 9,000 their first week. 
the scene gotten bigger. And part of that was the groundwork that we had laid, you yeah. know, like the cadence was beginning with that. And also we weren't on to cadence. We were just on till by ramen. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, panic came out. They were the biggest fucking band in the world by the end of the year. <laughs> and we had them opening for us for a tour. And, and luckily the tour sold out really quick and I didn't feel like they were blowing us out of the water by any means. In the UK, I felt it a little harder because they were really, really big there. But in America, I thought our the tour was great. And they were supposed to be the opener. It was going to be them, Hello Goodbye, Acceptance, mm. and us. And by the tour came, by the time the tour came, they were direct support and probably should have been headlining. Not probably, definitely should have been headlining. Wow. But because the tickets had been sold out for a while, no one left. It was not like an awkward thing. Mm -hmm. But it harmed us on a creative level because everyone from management and, and label pivoted. And now, before Panic came out, it wasn't you need to be like this kind of Fall Out Boy thing. Mm -hmm. We were very, very different than Fall Out Boy. Right. Some people don't maybe might not agree with that, but we were. I was there. I remember. <laughs> and our whole thing was very, very different. Panic's thing was unique but sonically Brendan sounded a lot like Patrick yeah and for the first time there was this thing that we were on the outside looking in instead of like we were this new poster child for the scene yeah all of a sudden the scene was this eyeliner theatrical and the scene was all the better and all the bigger for it mm -hmm. but we didn't get it and that's why we made the Santi record the way that it was and like and you know that was kind of the end of our like trajectory and like that you know was a painful thing to go through as a band that being said like brendan yuri is one of the kindest people i know and every time i've hung out with him over the years regardless of how big things were going or how bad things were going because they had their moments where things weren't going so great mm -hmm. people left the band people had drug problems people had you know all the above that can go wrong in a band happened to them and that guy has been 100% the same person since the day I met him, which is really kind, family-oriented, keeps to himself, plays video games, <laughs> hangs out, nice to everybody, nice to his crew. That's all I really look for. And the success that they're having now, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, and like... Um, you know, I tried to get the, the gig playing bass for them and they wanted a girl mm. and, uh, damn, you know, that would have been fun. Yeah. But, uh, I'm proud of them. I'm proud of Brendan and, you know, my crew with Carly Ray Jepsen all works for them. So a lot of my, our whole Academy crew works for them too. <laughs> wow. And those are like some of my like best friends growing up and like, it's a weird thing, you know, like the, my favorite part of being in the band was being able to employ my friends and, you know, like. And I'm glad they still have jobs and that it's with somebody who's really nice. I mean, that guy is a class act. And you think about like the Me Too stuff. I've seen some weird stuff. Not that guy. <laughs> that guy's just like hangs with his wife and dog and plays whatever that game is with the kids are into now. Oh, that Fortnite. He's Fortnite. playing Fortnite all the time on Twitch. It used to be Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. You know, like back when it was the first round of that game. But I mean, that guy deserves every bit of success he has. And like, and you know, it's always easier to quit when people are saying that 
you're past your prime. Mm-hmm. It's embarrassing to be in a band when people are like, oh, well, that's over. And people have been saying that about Panic at the Disco until like a month ago. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I've seen stuff even like on a personal level on like Facebook, people being like, they're still a thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah, they're still a fucking They're thing. probably they're, bigger now than they were when they first I mean, they have like started. radio hits still, like big, big at least three. I'm going to go tour. so far to say that Panic at the Disco is the biggest band in the world right now. I think that's very I fair. I think that's a pretty fair. Because other yeah. bands don't sell shirts the way that they do. They don't have a culture the way that they do. Yeah. They don't Imagine have their moms Dragons wearing. doesn't have it even close. Yeah. I'm telling you, like, I've seen what it is to be a meaningful band. And people care about that stuff, you know? This last time I went I went and hung out at Allstate, when I went to deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did I meet you then, too? No, I wasn't at Allstate. No, yeah, I was with my girlfriend. Okay, uh, I gotcha. gotcha. I tragically was in class. Yeah. Um, it's very tragic. <laughs> I thought the crowd looked tired mm. at the United Center last summer and at the last Allstate one, mm. the crowd was like rabid and crazy. And I think they've officially become so big again that they're playing to people that are just moderate fans. Mm. And it's amazing to me that like a year and a half ago, they were able to sell out those places with diehards. Yeah. And now they're playing to like the radio crowd. Yeah. And like, it, where can it go from here? You know, it's, it's crazy. I mean, they're way bigger than Fall Out Boy. Mm-hmm. They're way bigger than anybody else. You know, like, I mean, that Fall Out Boy Wrigley show I thought was really great. Mm-hmm. But it was, they try to, Fall Out Boy, you know, I, I hope I don't get myself in trouble for saying this. because <laughs> I respect them for never being nostalgic mm-hmm. and for making sure they play the new stuff and do all that. At their show, I felt like they maybe should have been a little more nostalgic. Mm-hmm. At the Panic show, I don't think they need to be. Yeah. And there's a difference there. Yeah. Brennan's younger, too. It's a different thing. It's always different when the front man plays guitar, too. Yeah. Um, I think I'm four months older than Brendan. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, man. Look at you. I've done nothing with my time. Shut up. You know, all that stuff I was saying before about them surpassing us, like, looking back at it now, I mean, it was crazy when I went out and saw, like, the album that surpassed our career, Fever, was reduced to like a medley and all the fans yeah. that were there were here to see something else. And in a way, like not that I needed like healing from that, but in a way it was kind of like a nice bookend on the story of like our two bands. Cause we were close. I was particularly really good friends with Ryan mm. and, uh, but seeing them like venture on, on their own, like they're not under fall up boy shadow or anything like mm. they, Brendan's talent is its own thing. And it's something that he, was always meant to do and he's a very very savvy guy so you know i'll leave it at that just i have nothing but good things to say about him at that show when he was about to go ride on his piano i was out by the soundboard mm. and he kind of looked around and we made eye contact and he goes hey man <laughs> and he kind of just had this moment and and uh he goes good to see you and that kind of sums up him like, yeah he's about to ride on a piano <laughs> in an arena yeah but he sees an old buddy and He's there. You yeah. know, it's like, uh, I like that guy. That's what were awesome. you going to say? Talk some trash? <laughs> no, dude, I fucking, I love Panic of the Disco. They're, yeah, they're definitely yeah, one they're, of my favorite amazing. bands of all time. Yeah, I, mean, uh, I don't want to like it. Like I said, I mean, like, <laughs> if they never met each other and never came out, like, yeah. I might be flying around on a private jet. Like, <laughs> or or not. Piano, you know, everyone makes their own destiny. Yeah. But like, uh, you know, those guys kind of like, 
they did what we did to a lot of bands from the Knights of Columbus. You know? so <laughs> yeah, it's like, fair. It is what it is. So, yeah. Um, you go through that. It was cool for me to get to even see like all that, you mm-hmm. know, so as a fly on the wall, like there's been a lot of cool stuff to see, like uh, outside of even being in Academy, like watching Fall Out Boy do what they did. I mean, that was pretty cool, you know, so. All right. Well, uh, that's about two and a half hours. Nice. Uh, Do you want to um, give any sort of plugs of like where, I mean, obviously if you're wandering around Chicago, people see it, but if you're got anything coming up that you want to like promote for people to come and Um, check out. I'm I'm playing bass for Carly Rae Jepsen still. She's putting out two new songs tomorrow. Uh, I don't make any money if you'd buy them or whatever. So (laughs) uh, I think you'll like them. I think her new record's cool and Mm -hmm. it's, and you know a, a step in just a different direction and which is always cool she's a creative person and um we didn't really touch on too much of that stuff but she's been a really you know of all the people i've gotten to play for i actually think she's the hardest working and also the most like uh passionate mm-hmm. and writes the most most productive um so check that out and uh if you don't really care for it, maybe still even try coming out to a show sometime because I think if you ever enjoyed any of the bands I played in, I think you'll enjoy what she does live. I think we got a really good band and it's fun. Um, other than that, uh, you know, I just love this city in Chicago. You know, I don't, I don't know if most of your listeners are here in the city, but uh, sort of you know, back and forth depending yeah. on our where we're at. On we have somebody in we Germany. Get, yeah, we get some people uh, on Twitch from too. all over. I'll, I'll be there in Germany. Uh, in a few months um but uh chicago is you know i could have done this two and a half hours just about the city but, <laughs> uh, i moved away when i was 21 22 22 never wanted to come back moved to vermont went from there to la after eight months in la i really wanted chicago back <laughs> and uh now that i'm back i mean i this place is like really like the fuel that keeps me a a happy person like you know it's been weird adjusting to like life not always on the road yeah because i'm somebody not everyone likes to tour i love it Mm. and chicago has been the one thing that like if i never get to go on tour again and i just am stranded here forever i'm okay with it you know so i love this city and uh, i love everybody that's from here so well, not everybody. A <laughs> <laughs> good amount of people. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, awesome. Uh, that was been Adam Siska of the Academy S. We have terrible outros. So we're just going to do from all of us here at the Emo Social Club podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Lizzie. And uh, goodbye. <laughs> this is fucking weird. Give you a little- yeah, you, sure. can, you can do a. <laughs> Yeah. Hi, it's me, Siski Business, and you're listening to the Emo Social Club Podcast. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for checking out this episode of the Emo Social Club Podcast. If you enjoyed it, which, I mean, you probably enjoyed it. You did, duh. And and you should just rate us five stars on everything. Uh... (laughs) promote don't listen to the academy is you know what you should do is go check out the academy is go listen to them yeah and uh yeah make sure that you you rate us five stars and and let us know what you thought and uh you know maybe maybe you comment on somewhere and you're like hey i i'm really stoked for more academy is that 
now that they're back together and they're playing shows just let, bring let it back you're up excited. just yeah. bring it back up say like hey i saw this and i listened to this again after four years and guess yeah. what still holds up still holds yeah. up put a thumbs up put a, put a thumbs up somewhere <laughs> somewhere uh, so we can see it we'll be back uh, next week with another episode uh happy holidays whatever it's 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 I'm a Brian. time i'm lizzie bye <laughs> Jesus. i think both of our brains are going nothing to say about an episode that came out four years ago <laughs> it's just to get to the end and it's like all right here we over are. the best